From Utah Public Radio, this is Undisciplined. I'm Matthew LaPlante. Scientists have known for a very long time that urban environments tend to be warmer than rural places. And the reasons aren't really very complicated. Urban surfaces like roads and rooftops absorb heat to a greater extent than most natural surfaces do. And then there's also fewer trees and other plant life, which also impacts what's known as the urban heat island effect. We've also known for a long time that higher temperatures are associated with a lot of adverse health effects, not just obvious things like heat stroke and dehydration, but also things like migraines and diseases like multiple sclerosis and autoimmune conditions and respiratory illnesses. And there's one more thing that is very well known at this point. The world, on average, is hotter now than in its pre-industrial state, and the rate at which temperatures are rising across the globe is increasing. What is far less known is what this really means for human health across the globe. But one group of scientists recently tried to quantify this problem, and the results are striking. They found that about 4% of summer mortality across 94 European cities is attributable to the urban heat island effect. Now, we're not going to stop global warming anytime soon. We're also not going to slow down global urbanization. But that doesn't mean that this problem is intractable. There is, in fact, something relatively simple we can do to make urban environments cooler and healthier. We can plant trees. Okay, there's a little more to it than that, and some of these complexities are detailed in two recent reports from research teams that included Mehdi Harris. Harris is an assistant professor in urban policy and planning at Hunter College in New York, where his research is focused on how to impact urban ecosystems through policy, and he's collaborated with planners in multiple cities to develop practices that are intended to mitigate heat through green infrastructure. Mehdi Harris, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's a great pleasure to be here and talk to you about this issue. Mehdi, I just mentioned that tree planting is, you know, this sort of simplistic example of how to mitigate urban heat islands. And and I know that trees are part of this thing that you and others call urban green infrastructure, but it's not the whole picture. Can you unpack that a little when we're talking about urban green infrastructure? What are we describing? You know, to explain that, I have to give you some context about how energy comes to cities or generally to our environment becomes heat. We receive that energy from the sun, that's radiation. And if you have types of surfaces that absorb that radiation and retain that radiation, then you would have more energy on the surface and that energy would be eventually translated into heat. If you have some surfaces that they can reflect back that energy back to space, and if you have some uh, materials that they don't store heat, then you would have less energy absorbed. We call that near surface area, and then you would be have you would have lower energy, your lower temperature. Vegetation, you know, helps you with uh, reducing that en- energy absorption. So that's why trees are good. Water will help us to also mitigate temperature. It it is intuitive for us to know that water creates that uh, cooling impact. And vegetation and water go together. That's why urban green infrastructure is important. For example, it is not only trees. We can also have 
rain gardens, you can create vegetated areas or bioswells. All of them will help with reducing temperature. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the plant part of the strategy, right? Like trees provide shade. So that's part of, you know, the, the radiative, the near ground radiative cooling effect. And then also plants uh, engage in, in evapotranspiration. They, they put water back into the atmosphere, cooling the atmosphere in that way, way as well, correct? Yeah, exactly. So vegetation helps with shade. If you are in a climate that is relatively dry, so you don't have much humidity, then shade can actually help with reducing temperature a lot because most of the temperature that you feel, it is the temp- we call it mean radiant temperature, which is the you know energy that you are receiving on your skin as in long um, wave form, and sh- and shade reduces that significantly. Uh, and that helps with feeling more comfortable in this space, and you will have also less absorption on different surfaces. So shade in some climates is just all you need, basically, to mitigate the temperature. Even if it is not a tree, you can create a canopy you know, with, with some umbrellas. That is still would be very helpful to you know feel more comfortable. We can narrow down the heat mitigation strategies to more vegetation, more shade, less absorption. So reflecting the energy back to the space, that would be great. So these are basically the main strategies that we need to keep our cities cooler. Well, and you mentioned that like some cities are in areas that are naturally more humid and some are in areas that naturally have like less humidity or more rain or more shade naturally. So when we come down to these three things, more vegetation, more shade, less absorption, I gather that there's not a one size fits all solution for every city. We can't just say like every city just needs more trees, right? Yeah, that actually is a great point. You know, it is uh imagine that you have 1 million dollar in a city, right? Then you you want to use that as an investment for, for mitigating heat. Uh if you want to think smart, you have to think how much of that money can go to planting trees uh, in in what locations? And then how much of that money can go to other strategies, maybe creating cool roofs, roofs that reflect energy back. Then we need to think. We need to think, are are we in a climate that benefits from uh, trees a lot? Or or are we in a situation in a city that we can actually maintain trees? But you also may think that, you know, it's going to take some time for that tree to be mature. So in that five, 10 years, what can I do? You can also invest on cool roofs or you can invest on some canopies, creating some canopy, some sort of shade and benefit from that in short term until those trees are becoming mature trees. So it is that $1 million that you have, you have to basically split that into different parts and and you have to try to optimize the heat mitigation impact. And for every city, that's going to be a different plan. You you mentioned cool roofs earlier. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, recently I've been more focused on, on cool roofs uh, in my research. Uh, let me give you some numbers. In a city like New York, New York City, um, you about 25% of the land area covered by buildings. 
in less dense cities, that would be about 10%. In an average American city, I want to say it's about 10% of your environment is covered by buildings. That means that's, a, that's an area that we can work with. Also, this, it is an area that people are less sensitive to it. For example, if you live in a neighborhood and uh, something is happening on your street, you might be more sensitive to that. What's happening? What are we building? What, you know, um, what kind of surface? What kind of plants? People care about their environment. So that makes planning process a little bit more complicated. This just comes down to color in some cases. Yeah, right? like basically the difference between black paint. and white. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can go to your hardware store, your neighborhood hardware store, and just <laughs> buy some paint and, and put some coating. There are other more advanced uh, materials that the engineers are working on it. For example, some sort of pavement that you can also use, and, and they absorb less energy. They, they stay cooler. But overall, the science is fa- fairly simple. If you have a material that reflects energy back to the space, you are absorbing less energy on the surface. That's good. That's all we want. Let's turn back to plants because it's not just what is planted. It's also how it's planted. And I know you've done some work in urban forest mosaic patterns and how they impact city heat. Can you talk about that? Right. That's very interesting. When people who work in cities and they plant trees, you know, when you think about, okay, we have to plant trees, that's a simple question. That's a simple goal. But then you can think, what kind of trees and how do I want to plant them? Do I want a big extensive shade or do I want more fragmented shade? How do we want, we call it tree patch. Do you want to create a small tree patch or a large tree patch? And what is the optimum size of tree patch for creating shade? Again, those comes down to the, the type of climate, the, the, the type of climate the city is in. But overall, I think the aggregate impact of the shape of tree patch is not very significant. So, so, so broadly speaking, like more trees, good. <laughs> more trees is good. Just uh, work with your intuition. You know, is you might save a little bit here and there. In terms of the temperature, average temperature reduction, you might have 0.1 degrees Celsius. But getting to that number comes with some uncertainty, uh, comes with a lot of research, and you may not have the capacity. And that, you know, I think just you don't need to focus on the difficult question. Uh, Focus on the simpler question. Can we maintain trees in this area or not? For example, New York City has a program named Tree Stewardship, and that means people can adopt trees and take care of them, you know? So if you have, you can go to the CD website and say, I want to adopt this, the tree that is in my in my neighborhood and I would be the ter- care, caretaker of that tree in terms of making sure it, it, it stays clean, that, you know, the tree bed stays clean, making sure that if I'm seeing something is wrong there, I can maybe uh, ask the parks department to come and, and, and have a look. So I think those the network that we create to take care of the trees and maintain trees is actually more important. And if you can guarantee those things for tree survival, then go with it. You know, once we decide, okay, we are going to grow more trees, for instance, your team has observed that a tree cover of at least 16% is required 
in order to achieve a reduction of average summer temperatures equal to one degree Celsius. And of course, this is going to be different for different cities. But but broadly speaking, 16% of tree covers, you get a 1% Celsius reduction. That matters. But, you know, when we're talking about global warming, we're talking about more than one degree Celsius over pre-industrial averages. And some of our projections, some of our scarier projections are quite a bit more than that. Can we get to two and three degrees Celsius in reduction? Is there enough places to plant in most cities, enough room to do this sort of thing? Probably not. And those are all really good questions. Trees overall, when it comes to air temperature, um, the temperature that most thermometers can measure, trees are actually not very helpful with you know, reducing that temperature. Trees are really great with reducing mean radiant temperature, which is the temperature that you are receiving in, in a long wave form. When you are walking on the sidewalk, on the sidewalk on your neighborhood, you pass some shaded area, segment, shaded segment of the sidewalk. And if you are walking around 11 a.m., maybe 12 p.m., around afternoon hours in a climate like Salt Lake City, in a climate like Denver that I have been, walking when you are exposed to radiation, it is actually not comfortable. But when you get to the shaded segment of the sidewalk, it instantly becomes much more cooler and you feel, oh, this is so cool. This is much more comfortable. But in fact, the air temperature of those areas are not very different. So what you are really feeling is the radiation. So you are being protected from the direct radiation, which is important for comfort. It is important for not being exposed to UV and, and so many other issues. So the air temperature still might be very trivial, you know, just small. It is less than one degree Celsius if you increase the tree cover in your neighborhood. But still, when you think about the aggregate amount of temperature reduction and how many houses can benefit from that for how many hours, that's a lot. In one research that we did, all the trees in the United States in summer days, they can save about half a billion dollars in energy saving. Just by um, shading the buildings that are next to them. Or it just, they, you know, basically creating a slightly cooler air around them. Even that small amount of temperature reduction can translate into a lot of overall, a lot of energy savings. So, and that's, you know, when you think about a few years in a row, that's a lot of money. That's um, that's important for cities, important for households. So um, I would say you have to use trees if you can, if you have the capacity to uh, maintain them. Also, it, it doesn't need to be the only method. Also have a cool roof. If you can have a more reflective material on your cool on your roof, you can also save some energy based on that because you know the energy in the in the structure would be much lower. You know, if you go, for example, to an attic of a, a building that has cooled roof, the temperature is very different with that house without that cooled roof. You so, know, I I bought a new roof for my home about five years ago, and the guy was showing me pictures, and he said, you know, I think this one would look best on your house, and I agreed. And then 
As soon as our new black roof was on our house, I realized the error of my ways. Our home is now much warmer than it was when we had a gray roof on our house. Exactly. That, that, that's how it works in science. You know, if you can have a, some material that they are cooler, that eventually will keep your electricity bill lower. Um, so being smart in those areas is helpful. Also, if you have a backyard, you know, have an umbrella uh, that will protect your buildings, the walls, the patio, slightly cooler, and you would have a much more pleasant um, afternoon experience if you if you want to use that space. Okay, so so we've got you know trees, and we've got cool roofs, and we've got shrubbery, and we've got water. All of these different strategies for reducing not just the ambient air temperature, but also the radiative effect that that we perceive, of course, as heat. You work with a lot of different cities. You worked with New York, where you are now, Denver, where uh, you went to school, Cambridge. You work with these cities to implement urban green infrastructure. What are the points of resistance that you run into when you come to policymakers and you say, here, is, here are the best ways to cool your city? Well, you know, implementing policy is not easy. Enforcing policy is not easy. It comes with, I would say, some cost. It, it comes with complications. Uh, for example, New York City has a local law that enforces buildings, new buildings at least, to have cool roofs. Based on the research that we've done, we noticed that there are many buildings that they are new, they are developed recently, but they still don't have a cool roof. And that means the city has to enforce it. And that is complicated because, you know, it it, it could be difficult for people, for, uh, for city to send some, you know, inspectors and say, hey, this roof is not cool. Uh, it, it doesn't have cool material, so you have to change it to cool material. For example, in New York City, the Department of Building has, I've heard, about 20, 30% of vacancies, which means you don't have staff for that type of enforcement. So sometimes it is really the logistics, whether you have the right policy or not, whether you have the people, whether you have the procedures to enforce those policies. Let's talk about, okay, let's say I, I've decided that of all of these strategies, I, trees, right? Trees are the, the strategy that I as a city leader or a business owner or property owner want to implement. Trees need a lot of water. And I imagine that's also an obstacle that we have to be thinking about, particularly in a time of global warming, where it doesn't do us a lot of good to plant a tree or a shrub if increased heat or drought kills it off a few years down the road. So a lot of what you and your collaborators think about is is how to plant not just urban forests, but resilient or urban forests. Yeah, that that is very important for when you think about the the tree population that you have, you don't want to have one species. You want to diversify those species because of the disease. For example, if you know ash trees now in front range, they have emerald ash borer problem. And so many ash trees are dying, unfortunately. And they are beautiful trees, they provide a lot of shade. So the question is if we are losing that tree population, how can we replace them? With what type of tree we want to replace them? 
yes, we have to think about those native species that they are more resilient in terms of water usage, in terms of the disease. And I'm not expert in urban forestry, but I understand that there are complications around how you want to diversify them. For example, in Denver area, honey locust trees, they are more resilient. They need less water and they are they are not really vulnerable to so many other diseases that other trees can be. But of course, you cannot have all of those trees as just like replace every tree that you have with honey locusts. So you have to you have to think what other species are native and they are resilient and less vulnerable to water shortage. So I think that would be another really interesting interview with another expert on urban forestry. (laughs) (laughs) When you have devoted so much of your life to these subjects and you are walking around, as I'm sure you do every day, the city of New York, going to work, going to the market, going back home. Can you turn your brain off so that you're not thinking about it? Or are you always like, like when you walk into shade, you think, oh, that was a good, that was a great patch of shade. Or, you know, when you see some very dark asphalt, you think, oh, if we only, if we only use some dye, some reflective dye on that asphalt, are you able to just walk around your urban environment and love it? Or is your mind always working? Impossible. Because, you know, (laughs) when, (laughs) when you, when you learn how energy is transformed in our space, in our environment, then all of that dynamic is becoming, you know, your everyday knowledge and is impacting your behavior. If you know the how vegetation, water, air, all these things together are basically creating an environment for us, the macroclimate for us, then, you know, it's also fascinating and exciting at the same time. I, I want to give you one example about this, uh, which I created the term, term for it myself. If you have an open space that kids play, play in it, well, it's like just a playground, and if you have a parking lot, so you want to have a parking lot or some, you know, space that is paved by asphalt or even some other pavement, you can think whether you want to put the parking lot on the west side and the playground on the east side of the site. What you have to pay attention is the wind. If the wind is coming from west to the east, what you what you know is you don't want to create the space that generates heat in on the upwind. So pay attention what is on the upwind and what is on the downwind. If you, I call it hairdryer effect because if you have, for example, a parking lot that generates heat and then wind is coming from that direction, carries that heated air to the site, to the playground, for example. Just switch these two. And then that way, you know, you are not being affected by the hairdryer effect. So... For me, just understanding the science and then bringing, translating that to some intuitive knowledge that we can use in our everyday life. That's just, it's fascinating. I want to go back to something that you said earlier, uh, which is that it's impossible to turn this off. And you're, again, you're in New York. This is a vibrant, growing city. There's always construction going on. Do you sometimes, when you're when you're going about your life, do you sometimes see uh, development happening and go, oh goodness, no, they put the building on the wrong side of the lot or they put the playground in the wrong place? 
yeah, you see those, and and that's for me. What do you do? Do you like planner. do you run into the site and you go, no, 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 <laughs> stop? <laughs> you know, I'm an urbanist, so generally I like buildings that provide housing. So I just I have a, a soft part in my heart for for housing in general. If you know, if it even comes in an imperfect way, but yes, it, it happens, and um, we know these things are difficult. It is difficult to update zoning because zone the zoning that we use is just archaic. Is just is in most cities have zoning that goes back to you know 30, 40, 50 years ago, and updating zoning codes could be very challenging and contentious for cities, and that happens slowly. Unfortunately, I feel we are probably not moving fast enough to prepare ourselves for um, extreme heat. Yeah, you see those, you know, you shake, you shake your head and you, you know, you go, you continue your path. That's Mehdi Harris. He's an assistant professor in urban policy and planning at Hunter College in New York, where his research is focused on how to impact urban ecosystems through policy. And several of his recent studies are focused on the beneficial impacts of implementing urban green infrastructure in cities around the world. Mehdi Harris, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio. And if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us on UPR every Thursday morning at 1030 and on KCPW at 10 on Thursdays at noon on Sunday. If you miss us, then you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our program is supported by public radio listeners like you. So if you're a donor to Utah Public Radio or KCPW in Salt Lake City, we want to thank you. And if you're not, well, why not? Head over to upr.org and click on the donate link and make sure in the comments you let them know that you're a supporter of this program. Our producer is Claire Scott. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tissot. And I'm Matthew LaPlante. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.